Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. My text today, I want to read from John chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to read these five verses, but I'm going to speak from just the first line. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in another part of the gospel, it says the Holy Spirit in fire. And I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So it starts with, the next day John saw. He saw Jesus, obviously, coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, John saw. So if there was a next day, there must have been a preceding day, right? When you read the scriptures, it's good to ask those questions. And in the preceding verses, we see in John 1, 20 to 23, when John was asked about who he was, he said he was a voice. Who are you then? They asked, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who can tell us about yourself? What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I am the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Who was John? I want us to dwell a bit on that this morning and draw from that life something that I believe God wants to speak to us. And the second thing I wanted us to briefly, though eternally, look at the Lamb of God. So, when John was asked who he was, you see, was he a prophet? Was he Elijah come back with the Old Testament prophet? And in one sense, he was a prophet, greater than a prophet. In one sense, there was the fulfillment of Elijah, because the same kind of anointing or spirit of God that rested on Elijah to do that task rested on John. But John said this, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. You know, we live on times, in times, where 
There's a lot of self-glorification, if I may say. Be it in religion, be it in any form of life. And often we identify ourselves with our titles. You know, I'm this, I'm that. Nothing wrong with all those things. But when you look at John here, it's really speaking to us about something very, very important. And he says, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This was a prophecy about 600 years before by the prophet Isaiah. If you see Isaiah 40 in verse 3 and 5 in the Old Testament, he prophesied this. And he said, there will be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight. The rough way smooth. And everyone will see the salvation of our God. You see, this whole thing of this voice and this whole passage of making the way or preparing the way was not a new kind of concept. It was what Eastern monarchs, when they, in those days, from the East, from where we are, and a lot of other areas, when people went on an expedition, kings went, or even armies went, there was a way that was prepared. There were no proper roads. Those roads had to be made. Those pathways had to be made. So it was like if there was a valley, it had to be uh, filled up. You know, part of Bombay, we have to do that, right? <laughs> anyway, but if, there's a, if there was a hill, you know, it had to be made straight. But it also speaks symbolically, really, of the lives of people. And this really talks about that salvation of God. And John was the one who was really introducing, he was preparing, he was making the way in his time for the Messiah, the one who was, it was prophesied about that he was to come to be the answer for the sin of the world, to be the messenger of hope, the messenger of deliverance. Now we are looking at John's gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which really gives you uh, an account of Jesus' life on earth. But in the three gospels, you would see a lot of Jesus being the promised deliverer, the Messiah. That's what it meant. But in John's gospel, you look at Jesus as not only the Messiah and even the other Gospels to a certain level, but here right through it, it talks about the deity of Christ. That Jesus was not just the Messiah, but Jesus was the Son of God. He was God himself. So God became man in Christ. God came to earth in Christ. And John was the one really who was called at that time to prepare the way. And when we look at that way and we look at our lives today, we could see so much of similarity. There was wilderness. There was dryness at that time. There was barrenness of spiritual ethics and moral codes. There's violations. It was a tough time. A prophet hadn't come for hundreds of years before that. It was a dark time. It was a time when Israel was being oppressed by Roman rule. 
And they were all crying out, we need this Messiah. When is he coming? Jewish families would tell their children from young, they would tell them the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. They were prepared for that kind of thing in one sense. But when the Messiah actually came, many of them missed it because often we think that God should come in the way we, sh we think he should come to us. But remember, if he's God, we are not God, he's God, and God has a prerogative to do and to come the way he thinks he should come. Amen? In all our lives. And so when we talk of the valleys, if we are down, if we are out, God comes to lift us up. When we talk of the mountains, it could speak even of a mountain of pride. Sometimes in the Bible it talks about. And God comes to level it out. You see, it's very important for us as we look at Jesus. To have that look when John saw Jesus, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was a prophetic voice. And we live in times when we wonder, what is this prophetic voice? You know, in the New Testament, every believer in Christ, we may be called the church or we may be called a family. The word church was a, a word that was very relevant to society at that time. It meant a called out people. And as called out people, as people who come to him, we all are called to be a prophetic people. So what do I mean by the word prophetic? The prophetic voice is a voice that speaks God's message to a particular people at a particular time. That's as simple as it gets. We, you and me, are called to be prophetic. Prophetic is not only what is to happen, but in the New Testament, the word prophetic comes from a word prophetio, which means to speak forth, not just foretell, but to foretell. Foretell is only talking about future, but foretell is talking about a relevant time where we are in and a message of relevance comes to us at the time where we are. And every one of us in this world, though we are needy ourselves, though we are growing ourselves, could be used by God to be a prophetic voice, to be a message to someone at a particular time and at a particular place. When I look at my own life, and I, I see how God has used people who I never expected to come my path. But to speak a message or to speak a word to me that has been so relevant to my situation, which gave me a key to unlock that present moment. And sometimes they may not even realize that they are being used by God to be that prophetic voice. But as we become aware, aware of what God wants to do in us and through us, we would be more and more aware of the fact that all of us 
need to be God's vessel to somebody. I'll say a little bit more. John. Who was John? Now there's a lot I can say about John, but because of a limited time here, I'm going to point out one very important thing. If you look at Luke's gospel, chapter 3, the other gospel, verse 1 and 2, I'm going to read this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Why am I reading this? Not because I want to show you that I can read these big names. In fact, I'm having, I'm getting tongue-tied. Or to bore you or to impress you. But really to show this, and that's why it's written here. There are five Roman rulers mentioned and two great religious rulers at that time, chief priests. The message of God passed all these great people. And it went in the wilderness to a man called John. You see, beloved, you may feel insignificant sometimes. You may feel I'm in a wilderness. You may feel, you know, what am I among all these people? No matter how great one is, we go through those moments. We go through those times. And it's true when we look at ourselves in this big, big world, do you think I'm just one in 22 million people in the city of Mumbai or one in 1.3 billion in India or whatever, the 7 billion in the world? But understand the uniqueness of who you are. And whether we are in the wilderness, whether we are insignificant, whether we don't have or we do have a position that is of some consequence, when we are hungry and when we are thirsty for God, the message of God can transcend every kind of situation, every kind of hierarchy and come to where you are in your life. That's what our God's all about, the, the God of the heaven and earth. The God who Jesus said and who Jesus, you know, represented the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went back to the Father, He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will be with all of you. He will, you will not be able to see Him, but you will know Him. And He's here today. It's a reminder to us. When we look at our own lives, there's a lot of fingerprinting nowadays with the Aadhaar card. You have to put your... You know, all that uh, impressions. But do you realize that there's no one with your fingerprint? That's how unique you are. Can you imagine how we are created? That's God really telling you, listen, daughter, listen, son. You are unique. And your life can be a life of significance with him, the creator. I was reading a research that says about, I hope I get that right, but it says about six people would probably have the gift mix you have 
in 30 million people. So in 30 million, there would be only about five or six people that would be similar to you in the giftings that you have. Strength finders and all these other things, you know, talk about that. So you are unique, beloved. And God wants you to be reminded today that even as you become a voice in God, a voice in the wilderness, it can be a unique voice. John was unique. You know, sometimes we look at some people and say, hey, that guy is a bit weird or she's a bit weird. I mean, some people may think that about us, by the way. But anyway, uh, why? Do you see something different? Maybe in their mannerisms, maybe in the way they present themselves, maybe in the way they approach, maybe anything. John was totally unique in the physical. I mean, he lived on locusts and honey. The dress code he had was a very different dress code if you go into the Bible and see it. He seemed wild. But beloved, he was called for such a time as that. And you are called for such a time as this in this world. I remember the time when I was a young man of 19, still young, being renewed in my heart. But at that time, I was desperately seeking for God. From about 14 years old, I started to ask the question. I knew my wife then, by the way. I knew her from the age of eight. It didn't start then, but we sat in class together. It's a great history. Read the book that's not written yet. <laughs> but, uh, so I was asking the question, why am I here? I had a strange void in my heart that said there must be something more to this when I would see a funeral or my uncle's death, I remembered just going and saying, there must be something more. There must be something more. And I was drawn to religion and to mysticism and other things. Never really realizing the answer was in Jesus. I dismissed it actually. But I remember when two guys came to me, very insignificant. And guys, I kind of wouldn't really, you know, put in my... Uh, top 10. In fact, I would dismiss them. And they came to me, and, and both of us were at the girls' hostel, by the way, I was just meeting, and came and started talking to me and saying, ah, one of them I knew from school, and he was anything but good. You know, he was in the bad books. And he comes to me, and they both coming, uh, come to me and start sharing how their life was changed by Jesus. I said, hmm. So I'm listening to them, and I found... It very, very shallow what they were trying to say because by then I was deep. I thought it was going to take a lifetime. I was actually contemplating at one time. This was when I was about 18 years old. You know, maybe I need to go to the Himalayas and, you know, kind of be like a brahmachari or whatever it is. And that's the kind of desperation in my heart for the unknown. And these guys come and share the simple gospel how Jesus died and how they received him, and how he rose again, and their lives are changed. Ah, I'm listening. And I said, listen. And I was getting a bit irritated after a little while. I said, I'm going to blow their arguments to pieces. 
And so that was my mandate, and I started to do that and try to do that. But later on, they just told me one thing. He told me one thing, this one of the guys. He said, listen, I know one thing. I don't have the answers, but I know one thing. My life has been changed. And they prayed for me. But you know, that was the seed, besides one or two other seeds, that was planted in my heart, which I didn't even realize. They were the prophetic voice to my life. And today I am here standing, proclaiming the same one who has radically changed my own life. Beloved, you may not realize, but you are unique and you are special. And there's a purpose for every one of us. It's not just a selfish purpose, because in selfishness we will never see fulfillment. It's in our giving. It's in our reaching out. Where we begin to see, yes, the place we are, what we're doing, what we're aspiring to do, becomes a catalyst of, for change. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. Thirdly, so the first was the voice in the wilderness. You could be that voice. The second is seemingly insignificant or seemingly insignificant, but called to significant and uniqueness. And thirdly, humility and the Lamb of God. You see, it was John when he said, look, that word look actually is not just see. It's a word of element. It's an element, sorry, it's a word which has an element of surprise. Now, John, if you read the Bible, he was supposed to be the cousin of Jesus. But he was in the wilderness. He was in a time being prepared for years and years. And he didn't even realize that this was the one. So he was doing what he was called to do. He was called to ask people, repent, turn around, repent of your sin, be baptized. What that really meant was baptism was an immersion in a water in water, which was really saying, of identifying, saying, I'm saying no to the old life, and I'm saying yes to the new life in God. Repentance of, of the, the message of repentance was a message of turning around. It's not a bad word. It's a good word. I need to repent. I need to look into my heart. In fact, daily, I like to introspect and see in areas and attitudes in my life where I've erred, where I've been hateful or resentful or done something which at that moment I've not even been conscious about and the Holy Spirit of God helps us to see that against the, the centrality of Jesus and tells us you need to turn around. That's what repentance is. Repentance is really going your way and turning around to God's way. And God, when we do that, He continues to build us up. He continues to take our brokenness and build us up and build the uniqueness and the significance of your life into the purpose that He has and He's called you to be. So we see here John, and I've already said, he's humble about even his message. 
He could have put himself right up there because he was very popular at that time. In fact, there came a time in the Bible when John's disciples came to him and said, Hey, the one you spoke about, everyone's going to him. And it's like, even our, the people who followed us are going there. What's happening? And John said, he must increase and I must decrease. If you want true fulfillment in your life, when God starts to be magnified even more and more, fulfillment starts to increase even more and more. You know, man's thinking very often, or the carnal way of looking at things, is basically, I've got to have more and more, I've got to be more and more, then I'll be fulfilled. But you talk to people who all their years, and some of you are sitting here as well, have aspired for some place of success, who've aspired to get something, and after you've got it, you found it. That's not it, right? There's something else. So it's not the steps of the ladder that you climb up for yourself. But in yourself, even as you see that progress and you keep God first and you start to build around God, you'll find everything you do becoming more meaningful and more fulfilling in your life. So Jesus himself showed us the way in, in, in Philippians chapter 2 when it says, you see that though he was God, it says he humbled himself. He left behind the glory. He took on the form of a man, took on the form of a servant, went and died a sinful death on the cross. For who? Because it had to be the sinless one paying the price. When we talk of the Lamb of God in Jewish culture, they understood immediately what that meant. You see, because the lamb was used to sacrifice for their sins. And there were, there were many things when you see in the Old Testament and the sacrifice and for different kinds of sins and different kinds of things they did in life. There had to be different kinds of sacrifices. But the lamb was to offer their sin for their sinfulness and the blood was there to wash their sins and to cleanse them and even to protect them. But that was all really a prophetic message, a prophetic message in one sense of ceremonial law that was pointing to the time when the Messiah would actually come, when God would actually come and become the lamb for you and for me. The lamb in the physical had to be sinless. It had to be spotless. Not sinless in that sense, but spotless. It had to be without defect, signifying really that the one who was going to die had to be sinless, spotless. That's why he was born of the virgin, the seed. And so he was fully God and fully man. And that's the difference the sacrifice of that on that cross made to the whole world. So when John is saying, look, and when I look at the cross, what do I see, beloved? When I look at the Lamb, I see my sinfulness being taken. I see my guilt being taken. I see my shame being taken. That's exactly what the Bible says begins to happen. I see that death 
gives way to life because he died so that you could live. There was a divine exchange that took place on that cross. He became sin so that you became righteous. Means he took your sinfulness so that you can know his righteousness. He took your death so that you can have life, not only in this world, but an eternal life where you could live forever with him. It's not some religion here. It's God intervening into mankind's life, into man's world, and bringing man back to God. That's what Christ came to bring. He came for the whole world. He came for every religion. He came for every kind of person. Every strata of society. Every individual. That's why he came. He came for you. And he came for me. When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. That principle of humility is so important. Humility is not weakness. But humility is more identified with the term meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It was used for a meek horse. When a horse was wild, horses come wild. And then they put the bridle, uh, the bridle, uh, bridle in, the, in the mouth, the, the metal piece, and then they tame the horses. And finally, you have all that horsepower. That's how the word horsepower comes. It's channelized power. So when you pull the reins or you spur the horse, or I'm not a horse rider, but whichever starts first, my daughter-in-law is. And the horse just goes. Horsepower. You see, beloved, Meekness is strength under control. And God, when he calls us to humility, you'll find a greater authority. You'll find a greater exaltation. He who lifts himself will be put down. He who humbles himself will be raised up. Simple. It takes time. Some, place, some places people think the way up is the way up. But in God's vocabulary, the way up is the way down. And as you humble yourself, as we walk in that place of humility, where we look for opportunities to humble ourselves and keep pride out of the way, and that's also by His grace. We can't do it ourselves. But He'll give you the opportunities. And you'll find the immense freedom will start to come in your life. What's the response today? That this word brings to us. What should be our response? I want us to just quietly think about this, even as it comes to your heart, not just now, through the day and through the week. Some of us may be wondering what are we called to do? We can get sparked by volunteering to God. Lord, use me to be a voice. It may be a voice to a little child. It may be a voice to someone in need. It may be a voice in your need. But you see someone else with a greater need. There have been times in my life when I felt I'm so mean. And I've gone out and just walked out and looked at someone 
We have nothing. We have my name is nothing that is with that. Sometimes the greatest fulfillment I found is you know just going and looking for someone in need and just sitting with them even on the street. Feeding someone, giving someone something. It could be different kinds of things. It could be in the echoes of society. It could be right up there. It could be right down there. We've sat with the richest of the rich or the poorest of the poor. And we've seen as we make ourselves available, God's able to take our brokenness and use it to bless somebody else. And you will never lose in that. You will always gain. As you give, shall be given to you. Some of us may be wondering if we are even significant and unique, but I reaffirmed that today. And I pray to God that each one of you would see, no matter where you are today, no matter what mountain you face, no matter where you are high or where you are on a low, but there's a purpose for your life. Each one sitting in this place. In fact, each one of us. Sometimes we can live all our life. I remember one of our leaders once telling me when I go to the cemetery, he says, so much of potential has been just buried without being used. And they say 95% of our potential is unused. Beloved, Stir that 95% up. Because there's much for your life. There's much opportunity for you. In the hands of God, in the hands of the Spirit. Don't kind of call Mary Ann and God up here. But I want to begin to think about this whole thing of uniqueness. Some of us may be forgotten. We feel we are forgotten by God, or we are forgotten. Oh, that person's doing so well. Oh, that, that's alright for that family. Oh, that's alright for A, X, Y, Z. But let me tell you, you are not forgotten. Even in the crisis, even in the test, there's going to be found. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along, 11.30 a.m., Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi.